Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome to the MCU Lorecast. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Today we're going to be departing our home planet of Earth to travel to a world beyond the alien sky portal from the Avengers and into the galaxy with the Guardians of said galaxy. We're talking about Guardians of the Galaxy directed by James Gunn. This one's a good time. Oh yeah. It, it is a fun romp space adventure coming of age sort of thing. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, as we usually say right before we get into anything, uh, this is not a spoiler-free zone. So, Genesis, please remind everyone. If you're looking for a spoiler-free zone, sorry, lovelies, you are in the wrong place. All right. Thanks, Jen. We appreciate it. Hit it. Hey. Yeah. We get introduced to our main character in the 80s. Little Peter Quill is abducted by aliens after his mother's tragic death. These aliens are the Ravagers, led by uh, Merle from The Walking Dead. (laughs) Uh, uh, Yondu. Blue Merle. Anyway, we jump forward to 2014 on the planet Morag. It's a really nasty planet with lots of jumpy rat creatures and mud and one peter quill is just having a good old time dancing and singing his way through the wastelands to a secret door (laughs) he's got this crazy lock picking contraption thing and pulls some indiana jones type treasure rating stunts and replaces the orb in the glowing chamber with something of Approximately equal weight, we can only assume. And when he turns around, he's faced with a couple of people who are uh, after what he's there for. He promptly drops the orb, which uh, was an accident. That was not meant to happen, but they kept it in. It worked. It, it definitely set the character. Yeah, he definitely, he, he rolled with it and stayed in character and just responded how Peter Quill would as a goofball and a, you know roguish eccentric maybe yeah he's he's what the uh you know that one player who is always playing the uh the bard wants to be or thinks he is at least the suave kind of sexy commander type yes you know mysterious anyway (laughs) they try to capture him uh and peter's not for that he manages to escape back to his ship where he has accidentally kidnapped his one night stand he doesn't remember his little friend's name she is wearing one of his shirts and the ravagers kind of catch wind that quill is on his way to sell the orb instead of bringing it back to their ship so they issue a bounty on him when he lands on xandar yeah so when he lands on xandar to sell the orb Pretty much every bounty hunter worth his salt 
has a little notification that the bounties come up. So they're all more or less after him. Yes, namely one Rocket Raccoon and one partner Groot. Namor mm-hmm. is after him because he has the thing that he stole from Morag, not necessarily because he has a bounty on his head. But three bounties on three bounty hunters basically on top of one target equal all of them going to jail pretty quickly for public disturbance, amongst <laughs> other things. Yeah, so they end up at the kiln. And one of the inmates there is our favorite literal Former professional wrestler, <laughs> Drax the Destroyer. Nothing goes over his head. He's too fast. He'd catch it. Hijinks ensues. Rocket is obsessed with prosthetic body parts. He tells them that he needs that leg. <laughs> I think he's just more obsessed with causing other people harm in ways that are funny to him. Because that was the whole point. Was He just wanted to see the guy hobbling around on one leg. He wanted Bucky's arm later on, too, though. And he probably thought it'd be funny to have Bucky's arm. He also probably may have thought it was good tech. That's true. He does love tech. He's the tech guy. And tech is what gets them out. Yup. They go through a lot of, you know, prison prison shenanigans, you know, attempted stabbings, Drax threatening them with knives. The whole nine, really. He tells them about his will or his secret wish to kill, not so secret wish to kill Thanos, who, um, you know, Gamora might know something about that. Yeah, as the adopted daughter of Thanos, one of two, um, yeah, she's very familiar with her adopted father and his perchantment for slaughtering everyone around him. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we, we have some prison hijinks. We get out of the prison. I mean, the kiln's supposed to be this incredibly hard place to get out of, and Rocket manages to do it in, like, a day and a half. So that's got to tell you something. He is um above average intelligence, especially for a raccoon. Meanwhile, what is our big bad doing? We've got to have a big bad for this, right? Ronan's taking a bath. <laughs> in the blood of his enemies. Yeah, and he's got some questionable choices in guyliner. Um, when it goes down past your chin, we're no longer in guyliner territory. He looks he looks like a cross between a member of Kiss and the Blue Man Group. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about it. Oof, yes, that is very that is on point. <laughs> but he dresses but he dresses like a samurai. <laughs> Something like it, yeah. I will give them credit. His costume was pretty comic book accurate. I mean, that's that's it. The big hooded, whatever, big shoulders look. But yeah, so we quickly established that Ronan is a fanatic nut job. Definitely. He ends up sending out Nebula to deal with Gamora's betrayal. And then he's summoned by Thanos. Kills the high priest dude real quick to make a point. I do love how Thanos handles him. Takes no crap from little, little Ronan, the boy. So yeah, Ronan kind of leaves with his tail between his legs. And the team, meanwhile... They're going to visit the Collector. Gamora wants to sell the orb to the Collector. And they're going to split the bounty for, or I guess the selling price rather, of the orb. So the team ends up going to nowhere, and while Gamora, Rocket, and Quill go off to see the Collector to sell the orb, Drax gets a little schwisty. <laughs> yeah. And he summons Ronan <laughs> and calls him out, basically. And it's, yeah, he's dense. They're trying to go on a covert mission, and, and uh, Drax calls down, calls down the, you know, the boogeyman on them. Yeah. I mean, Drax has a personal vendetta against Ronan for killing his family and all that. So it's understandable that he's a nutcase. But, you know, nutcase plus alcohol plus not being supervised equals a surprise attack by the bad guys. But before the surprise attack, we have our big exposition, right, of 
the Power Stone. And all right, now we're going to finally introduce you to the Infinity Stones. You know, you, the audience. Here is the reason why the Guardians of the Galaxy movie is here. To tell you about the Infinity Stones. And to kind of start pulling those threads across the other MCU movies into a cohesive unit. And then if you remember at the end of Thor the Dark World, we see that the Aether arrives on nowhere with to be, you know, held by the Collector. The Asgardians didn't want to contain two Infinity Stones too closely to one another, but the Collector's got his own secret uh, plans, and he wants to collect all the Infinity Stones, so now he's going to be able to, to get his hands on the orb. He opens said orb and shows them that it is not just a crazy-looking rock. There is this crazy rock inside the crazy rock that gives someone incredible strength and power. And, you know, you can just smash it into the side of your hammer and make it a power hammer. Because that's how that works. Or something. Ronan arrives and promptly dispatches Drax, or so he thinks anyway. Throws him into the pile of goo, and it's really gross. Drax is drowning, more or less, and Groot ends up fishing him out and stabs him in the chest to get all the water out of his lungs, which, ew. Worse, it's brain fluid. Oh, no. Yeah. So, nowhere is a giant celestial head that's just floating around out in space, right? Someone found it, and they've been mining the stuff out of it. Well... It's not a planet. You don't mine minerals out of it. You mine brain matter and and spinal fluid out of it. That's what Drax gets tossed into. There's a vat of that stuff. Mmm. Yummy. Mm -hmm. Good for the skin. <laughs> so the others end up fleeing and are pursued by Ronan's disciples, as well as Nebula, Gamora's sister. Nebula destroys Gamora's ship, and she's left... Floating in space without any respirator. Rocket tells Quill that she's as good as dead. You know, her modifications that she has will keep her alive for a little bit. But, you know, eventually space will just freeze her and kill her. So Quill does his heroic act and flies out into space. He takes off his mask and puts it on her. And she ends up, you know, she breathes and... Then they are, flo you know, they're just out floating in space. <laughs> Peter had made a call to Yondu, who had also just shown up right before Ronan did. And he's like, yo, I'm out here. You want the, you know, bounty on my head or the thing I've got? Come pick me up. And that's how they survive being spaced, basically, is Yondu picks him up. Mm-hmm. Ronan then does what I said he would do earlier and embeds the power stone into his hammer. And that's how he's able to contain the power, because if he were to touch it with his hand, it would destroy him. He contacts Thanos and tells him that he's going to kill him after he goes and takes his revenge on the whole planet of Xandar. And despite her father, her adoptive father, Thanos, Nebula decides to side with Ronan. Uh, she might be a little bit bitter about being turned into a cyborg woman against her will because she's been Gamora's sparring partner for the last decade and a half or whatever. So mm -hmm. yeah, she might have some daddy issues. Major daddy issues. You don't end up blue and bald without some daddy issues. I believe her alien race is blue of some sort. I'm, it's unclear if she was Kree as well. Mm. But... Yeah, she, she's always been blue, but the cybernetics part is uh, not standard issue. Definitely not. The Ravagers and Quill end up going to the Nova Corps, and they end up, they, there's a big battle with the Dark Aster, which is Ronan's ship. It's going to start firing down on the planet of Xandar, and they want to try to evacuate people or save as many lives as they can. So they're scrambling all the jets. Quill's ship, the Milano, named after Melissa Milano. Hey, Quill's a kid of the 80s. He would definitely be crushing on Melissa Milano enough to name his ship after her. Uh-huh. He has to entrust it to Rocket, which I know he probably was not thrilled about. Uh, especially not there at the end, but yep. 
Mm-hmm. And Ronan goes planet side to destroy everything. Yeah. I mean, the team comes up with a plan. They, they manage to get on board the Dark Aster. They're blowing away nameless, faceless enemies all, all over the place. Yeah, Groot impales a whole line of them like a shish kebab and smashes them onto the floor and flails them around for a gratuitous, like, 30 seconds. Like, sure, it's one thing for Drax to literally rip out the head cybernetics of Korath or for Gamora to be just wailing on Nebula, but that bit with Groot was (laughs) probably the most disturbing thing I've ever seen in Marvel up to that point. Yeah. It was um, graphic. Between Groot just has a thing for stabbing people, I guess. Because he already stabbed Drax to save him from the brain fluid, which, ew. He was using his abilities to, like, push the stuff out of Drax's lungs. This one was, uh, you all are lined up here real quick. Let me just, like, impale you and smash you around a la Hulk style. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Rocket crashes a ship through the Dark Aster, and it crash lands on Xandar. Well, not a ship. He crashes the Milano (laughs) into the Dark Aster. That's the part I think Peter wasn't happy about. Yeah, Peter was like, that that wasn't part of the plan. But at that point, the plan wasn't going very well. Like, they had this whole big idea to blow up Ronan, right? And then that didn't happen because Ronan's powered by the Power Stone. So, yeah, Rocket's like... I'm just going to hit you with a ship and see what happens. Yeah. He survives. (laughs) In order to save his friends from the crash landing, Groot forms a tree ball around all of them. And inside the tree ball is his face with all of his little lights that he showed earlier floating around so that he can see his friends. And he tells them his only non-I am Groot line, we are Groot. Tears from everyone in the theater and my boyfriend upon rewatch. Yeah, that moment was sad. And then we get to the crash landing. Groot promptly just breaks apart everywhere. And Rocket is completely destroyed. That's his buddy. His best friend is partner in crime, literally. And now he's gone. Ronan emerges from the wreck. He's survived somehow. Plot armor and the Power Stone. Uh, this isn't plot armor. This is power stone. Like, I will grant the infinity stones infinite amounts of survivability. That's allowed. I'll allow it. (laughs) And he is powering up to destroy the planet of Xandar. Well, Quill initiates a (laughs) (laughs) dance-off. Man, like, out of nowhere. Just... But hey, it worked. He distracts him long enough for Rocket to put together the thing. Yeah, he gets blown off and the hammer's destroyed. Quill grabs the stone and joins hands with his new friends, Gamora, Drax, and Rocket to share the power of the stone because when they met with the Collector, he told them how they used to share the power of the stone between individuals. And they use it to vaporize Ronan, destroying him once and for all, because we love to toast our villains. Yeah, yeah. Shame, shame. Anyway, Rocket saves a stick of Groot and plants it in a little pot, and Quill pretends to give Yondu the stone, but really they're gonna let it stay in custody of the Nova Corps on Xandar for safekeeping. Mm-hmm. Quill gets a new improved, bigger Milano to fly off with his new Guardians of the Galaxy. And Yondu opens the little container that's supposed to have the stone in it and instead is a little troll doll. Yep. And he just laughs. Yondu's got a special place in his heart for for Peter, you know? And I, I think he appreciated that Peter left it off as a joke. He's like, okay, all right, I'll let this kid get one over on me, because that was good. That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) And you know that he loves little figurines. Yep. All lined up on his, all lined up on his dash, his little frog, his little fancy frog from the store. (laughs) His troll doll, yeah, he loves it. Well, they have their criminal records 
expunged for, you know, saving the galaxy from a madman. And Quill also learns, because his scans came back abnormal, <clears throat> that he's not completely human. Nope. It's not quite named yet what that other half is, but we'll learn more about that later. And Quill finally gets around to opening that package that his mom left him. Inside is Awesome Mix Volume 2. Yeah. And that's it. That's the movie, guys. I mean... It was a fun quirky goofy space opera i i mean i wouldn't I, I don't know if it has the right i don't think it ever hits the right notes for space opera like it's dramatic but for the most part it's pretty just light-hearted comedy intermixed with some it's more space balls less star wars yeah yeah but a really good time genuinely a good time and one that i did not expect one i would say no one really expected i mean but you had you have a great mix of chemistry amongst your your team that comes together just like I mean it just came together so well. Yeah, the cast seemed to genuinely riff off of each other. I know that this one had a because it tended to lean more comedic. I think they allowed the actors a fair amount of freedom to improvise, which you know props to Chris Pratt. He has excellent comedic timing and he is genuinely very funny. Yeah. Quick as a whip, sometimes a little bit dirty, but I think for the character of Peter Quill, it works. Yeah, much like how we've stated, and several people have stated over and over, that RDJ is made to play Tony Stark. In a way, Pratt was made to play Peter Quill. And he dedicated himself to that role. He had to go out and earn it because they basically told him he was a little too chonky to be a superhero. And he said, I'll get in shape. If I remember right, he was afraid to audition for it, and he managed to nail it anyway. And it was really of his own volition to get in better shape. I mean, they may have requested him to to do it, but if I remember right, there was an interview where he said, if I didn't take the chance and try for Peter Quill, I was going to remain the funny fat guy for the rest of my life. Well, good for him then. Yeah. Really good for him. Um... Yeah, he nailed the comedic timing. He was charming at times, suave at times, completely idiotic at times, which he did very well. And pair that with the Ice Queen Gamora, played by Zoe Saldana, who we know does pretty well as a atypical colored alien. Yeah, yeah, she she does she does those real well, and she plays the secret keeping Ice Queen characters. I mean, that's. I'm not going to say that's her type, but that is definitely a shtick that she was keeping to throughout uh, her action, early action movies, at least. Mm -hmm. And I thought that Dave Bautista was absolutely hilarious as the dry-witted Drax because he's funny without meaning to be. I heard his makeup process was pretty brutal. <laughs> um, something, something to the tune of like three and a half to four hours, similar to actually Yondu, uh, Michael Roker's makeup time as well to get that blue on there and the fin and the cap and all that guys like that takes time i don't envy them no and the fact they're willing uh, the fact that uh dave's willing to come back not once but twice after that for you know volume three plus all the other uh movies that the guardians have been in that is a lot of time in makeup and same for karen gillian and as nebula she had to shave her head for the first one. That's dedication. I think she chose to shave her head? And then she said, I think she said later that she's like, all right, I did it once. Thanks a lot. I'm not going to do that again. Can I please have a bald cap and get some CGI? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that worked out. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to tell. But yeah, she, she, she did it the first time. We get to see our first official Thanos as well. Yes. Voiced uncredited by Josh Brolin, who would go on to make the role and, and maintain it and build on it. Uh, definitely a change from the end of the Avengers. Uh, he was, they muted the purple. Like the, the end of the Avengers, he was, he was that vibrant royal purple color with the, with the very bright blue eye. Right. And then here where he's properly introduced, he's much more muted in all of those color schemes. I think that, that ended up being good. I think they 
as they continue to utilize the character, we'll discuss it later, but I think they muted him too much, because after a while, you couldn't really tell he was purple. He was veering too much into gray by the end, is what I would say. But this mix, I think, was good. I wish they had kind of kept that going forward. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, this one, I think this one just was the one that no one expected. This was the funny, easy-to-get-into, accessible more or less family-friendly, because I think most of the kind of dirty jokes would go over younger audiences' heads. And a good time. Yeah. Yeah. It's about it for the plot synopsis. It was pretty, you know, straightforward space adventure comedy. And, you know, we don't have enough of that. Just don't don't make it overcomplicated all the time. This was a good time. Yeah. And on that high note, let's head into the mid-break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right. Welcome to the mid-break, where we talk all business, no lore. It's still a fun time. First, I would like to thank all of our patrons, especially our Tier 4 Genesis, for your continued patronage. We appreciate it very much. We had a great time on our first patron chat, and we're looking forward to our next one. If you want to be in on that, go ahead and join our Patreon. Link will be in the description. Also, if you want to support us but can't support us do that financially. You can always hit us up on Apple or Spotify by leaving us a five-star review. On Apple, you can also write a review and we will read it on the, on the show here. And in fact, we've got one. You want to take that away, Shenko? Absolutely. This comes from Old Man Krogan. Love the username. A great mix of nostalgia and modern commentary. Five stars. This show is so much fun. It reminds me of the conversations I would have with friends when these movies first came out. X-Men was always my number one comic and movie series. As much as I've grown up with these characters, Captain Shanko and Psyche bring a fresh perspective to the material. Also, I think I got a few more gray hairs when Shanko mentioned that she was two when the first X-Men movie came out. Keep up the great work. Thanks so much! And I'm sorry for the gray- I'm sorry for the gray hairs. I give them to Psyche all the time. Uh, you know, I have managed to not have any. Thank you very much. And so don't you curse me with those. But I do feel your pain on that, old man Krogan. She makes me feel old all the time. Thank you very much for your review. And again, if you want to hear your review, just type one up and send it in. I'll be happy to read it. Other than this show, oh my god, we are so busy. That's the understatement of the century. I think we both like to live in the realm of painfully busy all the time yeah that's that's what us creators do isn't it so i've got the mass effect blue shift it's a a live play tabletop rpg podcast i play a one of four citadel security agents um my character is jack parizo he is a charming human agent and a very good investigator thank you very much and uh, I have a great time playing him. It's always a lot of fun. We just dropped episode three. So if you haven't heard us yet, we're only a few episodes in. You can spend a little bit of time and catch up. And you have, what, two, Janko? Yes, sir. I am one of the hosts of The Fight Space. I just brought on my good friend Nick as a co-host. And we're having a blast doing that show. It is a martial arts podcast covering news, stories, and the community of the fighting world. If you're into any of that, definitely check out that show. You can find it on the Robots Radio Network. It's also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You can also find me as one half of the Wizarding World Lorecast, a Harry Potter podcast. It's a show I do with Ben of Tamaria. He uh, is one of the hosts of the Holocon Histories podcast. And 
We have a really great time with that too. It's been insanely fun to dive into the deep lore of Harry Potter. And if you enjoy that universe, definitely check out that show as well. We've been having a really good time with both of those shows and same as here. I'm just so happy that everyone seems to be enjoying it. Yeah, if you guys haven't had an opportunity to listen to either of of her shows, go for it. It's a great time. Thank you. Uh, We also have a sponsor this week. This episode is brought to you by Bearded Brown Coat Comics. That's an awesome gaming store located in my hometown of Ocala, Florida. They have two locations, one off of State Route 200 and one a little bit further south in Bellevue by the Publix Plaza. If you need anything related to comic books, tabletop gaming, video games, retro games, card games, they probably have it at Bearded Brown Coat. I find a lot of my source material there. I am a regular shopper there myself. So if you're looking for an awesome spot to check out in the Central Florida area, it's worth traveling to if you're from out of area. And if you are in Ocala, definitely go check it out. A link for Bearded Brown Coat will be in the description as well. All right. Well, all that said and done, let us move on to some lore. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You've got more than two. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, If you remember from our Thor Dark World, I was complaining that I only had two characters and they were so flat and banal and just bleh. And now I seem to have kicked myself because I have like 10 characters to discuss and a couple of teams to go over. So, and a whole rich amount of lore. So let's get into it while my voice is still good. So first I have them grouped by heroes and villains and we're going to start with our villains. I'll admit he's probably more in the gray area here, but the Collector introduced in The Avengers number 28 in May 1966 by Lee and Don Heck. He is one of the elders of the universe, along with the Grand Master, and he started collecting as a hobby after the passing of his wife, who was also an elder. She gave up kind of, she just kind of gave up on living one day, and so she gave up her immortality and stopped. And so to keep himself sane, he started collecting stuff. He has a daughter, not a slave, named Karina. She is also, I believe, immortal. He primarily fights the Avengers whenever he gets into a collecting mood, but he also foresaw the appearance of Thanos, and so he was utilizing his collecting hobby to try to preserve species and things as well. So it's one part museum curator, one part zookeeper, one part maniacal collecting person. I think he even has a dark elf. I believe in the in the MCU we saw a dark elf in a cage. We also saw Cosmo the space dog, and in a final credit bit we saw Howard the Duck, who was released upon the explosion at the Collectors. Voiced by one Seth Green. Yes, we will cover Howard the Duck at a later time. All right. So now moving into more of our proper villains, we have Korath the Pursuer. He was introduced in Quasar number 32, that's March 1992, by Mark Grunwald and Greg Capullo. Our comic book Korath was a Kree cybergeneticist, whatever that means. I love it when comic books just throw science words together and call it a job. Anyway, and he gave himself powers that include the ability to psionically track targets utilizing their brain waves across the universe based on a program he led using an earth cockroach that had been modified by Cree genetic tampering. I cannot make this stuff up, guys. Someone clearly did. (laughs) (laughs) 
someone threw some stuff at the wall and said, what stuck? All right, cockroach, <laughs> alien, genetics, cybernetics, um, and he, he's a stalker. Okay, so he's uh, Korath the Pursuer, and this is his whole convoluted backstory. Yes. Uh, there's a reason we call the 90s the Dark Ages of comics. I Korath is not the reason we call the 90s the Dark Ages of the comics, but I believe that is one of the byproducts of the Dark Ages is just this mosh-podge of ideas thrown together and called either a character or a scenario or an event. It's just, uh, like, how and why did we get here? But anyway. Yes. He's still kicking in the comics, and it's a shame that he was removed so quickly. I feel we will discuss that at the end here, because I've got feelings on that that we need to talk about. All right. Moving on, we have Nebula. Introduced in The Avengers number 257 in July 1985 by Roger Stern and John Buscema. The original Nebula had hair, it's black, and was not a cyborg. Uh, the cyborg aspects would not come about until the Silver Surfer issues number 69 through 73, and that would be August 92 to October 92. She was just a space pirate. Kind of got swept up in one of the Infinity storylines. It didn't help that she took over a space station that had been Thanos under Thanos' control after he supposedly died. And she made the claim that she was his granddaughter. So when Thanos came back, he nearly killed her for that. Like, kept her, like, alive. Nearly killed her. Utilizing, I think, a couple of the Infinity Stones. That is some dedication. <laughs> yeah sadistic dedication but yeah her original appearance and power set she had like black widow like gauntlets and a very advanced disguise device that was before her cybernetic implants so I mean, like all in all she was a really cool character even before she was turned into the cyborg that we know more about but even after that, she got a lot more development. She was a villain. She kind of went the anti-hero route that Marvel tends to do on several of their villains. Mm -hmm. I don't know really why. Other than it's a unique way to take them. Anyway, speaking of some more... One of the big guys. <laughs> speaking of one of the big guys, we have Ronan the Accuser. Introduced in Fantastic Four number 65 in August 1967 by... Lee and Kirby. There are a lot of major differences between comic book Ronin and MCU Ronin. Like one thing, um, comic book Ronin is a brilliant tactician that I would not claim for our MCU version. Definitely not. He is not a genocidal madman either. He's very much about Kree superiority in the, I'm not going to say rule of law, he is a nut job, that is for certain, but he is um, sort of fanatical in the in the laws in of themselves. His armor rivals that of Iron Man, and his hammer is called the Universal Weapon that has a bunch of abilities all on its own that we never saw in the movie until the Power Stone was utilized. So it could probably do some of the things it was doing with the Power Stone, but not as... Not as crazy. Not as powerful. Yeah, like, it has the ability to throw out concussive blasts. He can utilize it to kind of control the will of others. All kinds of really cool stuff that the Power Stone just wasn't needed to be used for. It didn't... So, I'd say we got a very toned-down version of Ronan, except in the fact that he is way more crazy, which was a real shame. But anyway, and now for our last big bad, we have... Thanos, introduced in The Invincible Iron Man number 55 in February 1973 by Jim Starlin and Mike Frederick. All right, we're going to get this done right out of the gate here. He's obviously based on Darkseid mm -hmm. from the DC Comics. Starlin insists it was his editor's idea, his editor at the time was Roy Thomas, to just rip off Darkseid because, uh, as he said, Thomas said... If you're going to rip off 
one of the new gods rip off the cool one at least. <laughs> so for some actual for some actual history here, Jack Kirby, who had been at Marvel, he had moved on to DC. And that's where he wrote and created the new gods. So petty much Marvel is basically what I kind of come up with here. They were either ticked that one of their, you know, founding fathers was off at another institution and basically like, well, if you're going to write something cool over there, we're just going to borrow it blatantly. Call it something else. Yeah. It's kind of like the parallel between Deadpool and Deathstroke. (laughs) Very much so. <laughs> we'll discuss them. Yep, Wade, Slade. Wilson. <laughs> yeah. Wilson. <laughs> yep. Yelp. Yeah, we'll talk about Deadpool when we get to Deadpool. Yes. Starlin also does ex- insist that he had the idea for Thanos rattling around in his head for years, uh, and along with Drax at the same time. And he was going to base his idea and design more on a different new gods character than Darkseid. However, when production started happening and he saw the different ideas for Thanos looking like this huge monster kind of character, he was like, yeah, all right, that's pretty cool. We'll go with it. And thus we get Thanos. We will, of course, discuss more Thanos over the next several movies. He's not done yet. (laughs) (laughs) No. All right. So that's our villains for the movie. Now let's talk about some heroes. We're going to talk about the Nova Corps. They were introduced in Fantastic Four number 205 in April 1979 by writer Marv Wolfman. The character Roman Day, that was John C. Riley's character in the movie, may still be used later to introduce the heavy hitter Richard Ryder's Nova. Down the line somewhere, hopefully. In fact, that's where a lot of fans thought they were going to like see moving forward. I mean, why pull in someone of Riley's you know, level to play a setup character? Because that's what Dag is. He's a setup character. He's the one who gifts the Nova abilities to Ryder. Here we are eight years later after the fact. And that idea seems to have gone into the wind. Hmm. But yeah, that's where a lot of people thought that was going to go. It didn't, but... Alright, so now we're going to talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, And I gotta say, it's a very odd team here. So we're going to talk about... Introduced in Marvel Superheroes number 18 in January 1969. The roster consisted of Vance Astro, Martenix Tanaga, Captain Charlie 27, and Yondu Odonta. Roy Thomas, the same Roy Thomas from earlier stated that he originally pitched the idea to Lee about a guerrilla team fighting the Russians and the Chinese, because, guys, it was the late 60s, and that Lee, who was editor-in-chief at the time, and another higher-up named Arnold Drake, they changed it into this interplanetary team set in the 31st century at some conference they went to. So it is unclear, like, for all those characters, who really is the real creator as it seems to have been the three of them combined Mm. also (laughs) to utilize this team set in the 31st century liberal uses of time travel were necessary like let me just casually time travel so that i can get this one dude to be on my team basically they were used sporadically until they got their own book in june of 1990 and that was to ride the coattails of uh, the next generation from Star Trek that was also going on at the time. Because that's that's where they thought they could make some money. Mm-hmm. They needed their own sci-fi thing. Yeah, that's it. yeah, basically. And unfortunately, Marvel would go on to cancel the book in July 1995 at issue number 62. And that was it. That was it. That was the Guardians of the Galaxy. So how did we get from one to the other? Well, uh, let me talk about Yondu and then I'll answer that question. So Yondu, as I said, um, he was introduced back with that first team. This first version was a more mystic-centric character. He had empathic abilities. He was really in tune to the nature, specifically of Century 4, that that was his home planet in the 31st century. He was a hunter who still used a bow and arrow, though the arrow was made out of a metal that was native to Century 4, 
that's very similar to the version that was utilized in the movie that you could control with uh, whistles and stuff. It wasn't nearly as overpowered as the movie version where he can just like whistle and it shoots and takes out 30 guys in a ship in six seconds, but he could change its trajectory a little bit with a whistle or a click or something. Because that was actually how that language on Century 4 was, was whistles and clicks. Hmm. For our more mainstream line, the Earth 616 version, Yondu, he wouldn't appear until uh, Star-Lord number two. And that was created by Sam Humphreys and Javier Guerin. And he was added to the Marvel comic books roster after the movie came out. That's it. Like, that's a blatant movie-to-book translation versus the other way around. Even though his original counterpart was actually way in the past. Mm. We will probably discuss more about this old setup later. So now, now that we've bridged that a little bit, let's talk the other Guardians of the Galaxy. Introduced in Annihilation Conquest number 6 in April 2008 by Dan Abnett and Andy Lenny. Annihilation Conquest was the sequel to the big crossover event Annihilation. So literally, there's just too much backstory related to these two major crossover events to adequately cover here. I will die speaking about all of this stuff. What I can say is... Go pick up the books. Go read them. I have them on a list of books that I need to go pick up. Because as much as I am a Marvel fan, and this was the time that I was buying books at the time, like consistently every week going in and buying a new set, the Cosmic Hero line was never my forte. It was, it never held my interest. I was always much more the X-Men or Spider-Man. So I never picked them up. It's something I'm working on rectifying when I have money ever again, which I feel like we can all. I feel that. I felt that. I can relate. <laughs> all that said, let's talk about the the members because this one is pretty one-to-one. They did leave off a couple from the original roster between book and movie, but for the most part, this is them. We have Drax the Destroyer. He was introduced in the same issue as Thanos. That was Invincible Iron Man number 55. And his backstory is nothing like what is presented in the MCU. Arthur Douglas becomes Drax after a chance encounter with Thanos in the desert that gets him and his wife killed and his daughter, Heather Douglas, uh, to be kind of utilized later as Moondragon. That's, that's who becomes Moondragon later. The Titans, Kronos and Mentor, Mentor would be the one who takes Heather later, captured Douglas' spirit and just gave him a new body. They called it Drax the Destroyer. Gave him his single purpose to go destroy Thanos because these Titans viewed Thanos as a major problem that needed to be dealt with. So Comic Drax had a whole multitude of powers that included flight, energy projection, and telepathy strong enough to counter the mind of Thanos. Like, could hold him in stalemate, at least, while other heroes could wail on him. Which is just nuts. That is incredibly insane compared to what we received in the film. Yes. The version that we get in the movie is actually the version that we don't see until right up before the Annihilation event. Like he, There's a story, a single-issue comic, one-shot, that explains how he kind of gets his new body, which is the body that we know and um, has very limited, is very limited in those capabilities. Like he doesn't have flight or energy projection or telepathy, but he is very strong. Uh, he's got a lot of endurance. He's a good fighter, all of those things. So he's much more grounded from his near God levels of powers. But yeah, the that version doesn't come about until 2008. And again, like... Up until then, Drax wasn't really utilized. We're, I'm going to say this a lot. These characters, right up until the Annihilation events, weren't utilized. Like, at all, or very much. Like this character, Groot. Introduced in Tales to Astonish number 13 in November 1960 by Stan Lee, Larry Lieber, and Jack Kirby. 
He was first a villain looking to experiment on humans. I don't really understand the mindset behind that, but whatever. He wouldn't be used until uh, 1976 in October in The Incredible Hulk, uh, Volume 2, Annual Number 5, alongside five other monsters from Marvel's anthology horror comics of the late 50s and early 60s. So we have his initial in 1960. We have his second use 16 years later. And then other than as a brief cameo in a Spider-Man book during a nightmare in the 90s, we don't see him again until a Howling Commando storyline in 2006. And it's not clear if the group that was in the Howling Commando storyline is the same group that appears in the Annihilation events. One of the big things is he does die and an offshoot has to be kind of regrown to bring him back for the events, which is very similar to what we did in the movies. He comes back as a baby, though. He does. And he is watched over by one Rocket Raccoon. Introduced in Marvel Preview number 7 uh, <clears throat> in 1976 by Bill Montalo and Keith Giffen. He was inspired by the Beatles song Rocky Raccoon. I, I I don't even I don't even know how one gets from one to the other, but it's here we are. That's what we got. His origin on Half World as a creature that was kind of like evolved up or whatever, that was already retconned with the whole fake memories trope. And he's currently kind of trying to find himself and figure himself out on the one of the new Guardians teams. I, I was surprised when I learned that Bradley Cooper had done the voice acting for Rocket Raccoon as well. Surprised how? I didn't expect to see Bradley Cooper jump into such a comedic role, and I was very surprised by his quick wit and his ability mm. to pull it off. Yeah. And, you know, that one's really hard to do because Cooper's not there. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, um, for a quick side note... The character Craglin, who was uh, 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 Yondu's second-in-command in the movie, that char that actor is Sean Gunn, who is James Gunn's brother. Mm -hmm. I th It's unclear to me if, if, if he got the role of Craglin before he was utilized as the like, stand-in green model for Rocket, or if it's the other way around. Like, he was already going to be on site to play Rocket, so he asked his brother for an actual role in the Ravagers and they let him have it. I, I don't know which one came first, but yeah. So he was the guy who was playing, when I say playing Rocket, he would, he would be in the spot where Rocket would be on the screen so that the actors had, you know, sight lines right. And you know, if he needed to like, like something actually had to be moved, it could be moved by a person. Like that's what Sean Gunn's, that's, that's what he was doing. Hmm. Yeah. I... So yeah, it's real. It's real interesting that you know because Bradley Cooper just did the kind of voice, right? So you're not on site to do the jokes and have have the thing, and yet he, he comes off so naturally and so genuine in in all of the stuff he does. You know, that's major props. Hundred percent. I, I thought that he tackled a comedic role very well, and. He just doesn't have a comedic background, so it I didn't expect it from him. Mm. I well, you say that wasn't he in the Hangover? I guess so. Um, it's not my uh, type of movie. <laughs> Fair. It's not really mine either. But anyway, uh, we're gonna move on. In fact, one of the most important ladies of the Guardians, right? Gamora. Introduced in Strange Tales number 180 in June 1975 by Jim Starlin. Gamora is the adopted daughter of Thanos, the last of her species, and widely considered the most dangerous woman in the universe. So, hey, uh, that's a pretty good pull from book to movie. Done. Gamora was trained and cybernetically enhanced by Thanos, but the, uh, I guess the splitting of hairs here is that this was all done at her consent so that she could have revenge on the Badoons or the Church of the Universal Truth, it's depending on which retcon we're going with. 
as who actually wiped out her entire race. It wasn't Thanos who did it. It was one of these other parties. So she was more than happy to join Thanos' team so that she could get revenge. She does also eventually turn on Thanos once she kind of realized that, oh, no, you are actually worse than the things that I wanted to fight and kill. All right, yeah, we'll turn on you. Uh, She spends some time in the Soul Stone and some other stuff happens. She has a much better use through time, but again, for the most part, it is unclear how she got from where she was last seen until the events of Annihilation that brought her onto the Guardians of the Galaxy team. Because at the end of her last use, she was living a pretty good life with Adam Warlock and kind of retired from everything. So how she got from there to being on the Guardians is a bit of a mystery Hmm. and hasn't been covered yet. And lastly, the Bard himself, Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord. Who? (laughs) Star-Lord, man. Like, ah, screw. And then I started blasting. Introduced in Marvel Preview Number 4 in January 1976 by Steve Englehart and Steve Gann. Ah, the Steves. Comic book Peter Quill is half human, half Spartoy, as his father is King Jason of Spartax. So, yeah, we got at least the half human part correct, because that was that was not brought over for the movies. Yeah, they did something else. <laughs> they went another direction. They, yes, very much. So when Englehart was kind of come up with this whole character, he had this idea of growing from introverted jerk to the most cosmic being in the universe by having him go through a series of stories on each planet um, that would shape his mentality and help him grow up and all this. But unfortunately, Englehart left Marvel before the idea got beyond introverted jerk. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, like the the whole thing just got scrapped. And so we were just left with this uh, interplanetary policeman who's kind of not a good person. Like, so we get X-Men legend Claremont and his team. They would get this character. They would revamp it and he would be used kind of sporadically for a while but nothing really was done with his character uh and then i think he wasn't used for like most of the 90s and up until the annihilation events again where he's completely redone into the rogue that we see here and now it's like it's so overdone like what they decided to go with for this new guardians that this earlier version has now been retconned off into an alternate reality And they completely redid his backstory into what we kind of recognize today. Except they still utilized the uh, Spark Toy part of it in the comics. He's not the offspring of some celestial deity or whatever that we are hinted at at the end of the movie here. Mm. Um, What I'm getting about the Guardians is, you know, the the Okapis, the animal from Africa or Australia or something that looks like a whole bunch of other animals smashed together? Yes, yes. That's the Guardians. <laughs> nice. Yep. I've done my best today to break Psych. Yummy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yep. All right. So, some real world talk here. All right. Uh, we got to look at the timing of all of it because let's face it news came out that the a Guardians of the Galaxy movie was being made. And I remember it was 20, you know, late 2012, early 2013, whatever. And I'm like, who? What? What team are we talking about here? I'll do and... you one better. Why team are we talking about? <laughs> right. Why the Guardians of the Galaxy? So we have this comic book, The Guardians of the Galaxy, coming out in... You know, 2006 to 2008, right as Marvel is releasing phase one. It's it's hitting out with Iron Man and, and Hulk and they're starting to build phase one. Well, they already had an idea that they were going to take it to include the Infinity Saga. Like that was that was had to be somewhere in the works. Right. 
when they started this idea. But how do you have a cosmic villain without your two biggest cosmic teams? Because that's, as I had stated, several of these characters came from either the Fantastic Four, right? Or they were in comics that dealt with other cosmic beings that were either allies or enemies of the X-Men. Because the X-Men deal with a lot of cosmic threats with the whole Shi'ar part and out there and all that stuff. So, but, you know, here we are, 2007. Fox is doing everything it can to bury, basically, the Fantastic Four and the X-Men. Because they had just released Rise of the Silver Surfer, which was a dud. And the year before that was uh, X-Men, the third X-Men movie. Yeah, we already talked a lot, uh, a lot about X3 and our grievances with it. Right. But Marvel still can't get Fox to let go of the rights. They won't sell them back. So what else is Marvel going to do? Well, they do have this roster of cosmic characters just kind of hanging about that aren't under that uh, mandate. Uh, You know, they aren't held in copyright by someone else. So put together a team, get the books selling get people talking about it, and maybe, eventually, we'll turn them into our cosmic team. And I, like, okay, I have no, I have no proof, all right? This is, this is tinfoil hat conspiracy time. But I, I look at these things and I, I go, there has to be a reason why you guys went with a, basically, I can't even say C-list team because the team didn't exist, until Marvel literally went out and made it as part of the after events of a major comic book shakeup in their cosmic line. I don't know. I could be completely off base and, you know, looking at uh, making a, a mountain out of, mole, out of a molehill or whatever. But that's kind of the, the thought that I've had ever since we first started getting into this as to why the Guardians of the Galaxy... I think your and... I think your statement has merit because they did need to go this direction in order to expand the universe to the extent that they did because uh, frankly you can't do the Infinity Saga without going to space. Mm, correct. And we we needed our segue into that, but like you said, they didn't have access to their other cosmic teams. I want it's a little bit strange that they didn't maybe just go with the Nova Corps. They're like, let's do the Guardians. I don't know. It does. It seems like a very off the wall choice for them, but clearly it worked. Yes. It was a calculated risk, and fortunately, Marvel is much better at math than I am. I would say that though it's a you know it's a great fun sci fi adventure. Um, wasting two villains the way they do um, was unnecessary. Ronin has been a strong presence in marvel comics for how long did i say he's been out uh, uh 1976 i mean nearly nearly 60 years i'd say you know 50 years at the time uh, they had an exceptional talent in lee pace too which i am hating this trend of getting really talented and capable actors to play villains that they are inevitably just gonna toast yes yes so i it's wasteful, is what I'm going to say. It's it's good, it's fun, it's just also wasteful in its talent and its story. Rob Zombie had a cameo. Zombie did have a Rob Zombie, yep. Several people had some big cameos in this in this one. Um, you know, uh, also, uh, you know, Nathan Fillion, because he's friends with uh, James Gunn, and so uh, Gunn always kind of fits him in somewhere when he can. It made three quarters of a billion dollars at box office as well. Yeah. A billion with a B. <laughs> Stupid money. Uh, yes. Stupid Marvel money that I would, I would love to get a slice of at some point. Uh, superhero boot camp and B Cyclops. Mm-hmm. Just squash those Henry Cavill rumors right now and, uh, <laughs> an audition for... Cyclops. I, I look, Marvel. If you, if anyone at Marvel is listening to this, and 
like you want to give a no name a shot at a top i would relish the opportunity to at least talk to somebody and maybe we work something out i like cyclops is the role i would i would regret never getting to play if i got to my deathbed but anyway all that to be said and done here that's all i've got for the guardians of the galaxy uh, my voice is worn out so shanko do you have any last final thoughts before we let our viewers go here um you know other than what i've said prior which this movie was a good time not not really because we're gonna revisit the guardians and most of these characters again we are far from finished with them so i'm excited to see where they're going within the universe and explore all of that with psych and with with the rest of our our viewers and with that i say night everyone As we all know, when it comes to making a movie, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes to make that movie magic happen. And it is no different when making a podcast. Welcome to the credits section of the MCU Lorecast. Captain Shanko and I would like to personally thank the following for their incredibly hard work and faith in us to get this podcast rolling. Tom, the head of the Robots Radio Network, for hosting and mentoring. In Seven Legend of the Mass Effect Lorecast for inspiration, Genesis and Vervada of the Two Girls One Ship podcast for introducing us, Let's Not, a fellow tabletop gamer and friend for the amazing artwork, Pipe Men, a veteran and friend for the outstanding music, our significant others for believing in and supporting us through this, and you, our fans, without whom this would be a vanity project. Let us know how we're doing by leaving us a review on Apple or a rating on Spotify. And to quote Stan the Man, enough said. Hi, welcome to Three Count Thoughts. Let me introduce the crew real quick. Hi. I'm Maverick Stone. I'm Romer. And I'm Jaxus. Join us as we talk all things wrestling. Each week, we'll take a topic from the wrestling world, knock it around a bit, and then go over the week in wrestling from a strictly fan perspective. We can be found on all major podcast catchers. We can also be found at 3 Count Thoughts on both YouTube and Twitter. Or you can send us an email using 3 Thoughts at gmail.com. Okay, are you ready? Ring the bell. <laughs>